Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are here at the very uh, beginning of September, and it's hard to believe. Uh, deer season is upon us, and this is an episode that I think is one of our most anticipated every year. It's our annual deer season preview, and I've got uh, Mark Demko, associate editor and co-host here with me. Mark, welcome. Yeah, hey, good morning. Hi, everybody. And we've got Hello. two of our illustrious field editors. I've got Bill Winky. Bill, great to see you, my friend. Yeah, glad to be here, Christian. And Bill's out there in the great whitetail state of Iowa. And then I've got Mr. Eddie Claypool. Eddie, good to see you. Good to see you. I know you like to talk down your home state of Oklahoma, but uh, it's funny because we're working on our November-December issue right now, and Mr. Demko just wrote up five of the biggest whitetails from around the country from last season. And there was an Oklahoma buck on that list, so... Man, I, you got to stop sandbagging us. <laughs> well, Oklahoma can produce, but generally speaking, it's not, you know, at the top of the pile. But with the people buying land and managing now, there are some big deer coming out of this state. No doubt. No doubt about it. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started this morning and I said, it's hard to believe uh, tomorrow morning I'm going to uh, jump in the truck and point south and head down to Kentucky. I will be in a tree for opening day, you know, hoping for a velvet buck here on Saturday morning. So deer season really is here. Mr. Demko, why don't you kind of set the stage with a brief overview of our annual deer forecast? You did this kind of a new format for the first time last year, and we just published our second installment in our October issue, which is actually coming out right now. So if you're a subscriber, that ought to be hit in your mailbox. If you're not, you want to hit your hit up your local newsstand and make sure to grab a copy. But Mark, why don't you just kind of talk about what you do with that, and then we can dive in and start talking about the season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were talking a couple of years ago about uh, the upcoming football season and how people get excited. To, you know, everybody thinks that their favorite NFL or college team is going to win it all that year. And, you know, obviously things change as the season goes along. But, you know, when you take that and you translate that to bow hunting, you do a lot of prep work. Uh, all year round, especially in the summer as you're gearing up for the season. But uh, uh, one way that people get all excited is they try to plan their vacation and uh, sort of um, try to uh, weigh the odds on when are going to be the good times to head a field. So um, uh, basically, we started to do this forecast to help people get pumped up for the season. Uh, and we use the uh, data sport, the original fish and game forecast. That was sort of the first company that used the uh, lunar tables and they started to look at uh, <clears throat> tides, Moon, moon phase, moon positioning and things like that, uh, and to develop the peak times for animal, um, you know, fish and game movement uh, every day of the year. So they put out these daily forecasts as when they think the peak times are going to be for um, movement in the field. And so then we take that and we couple that with what are historically some of the best times to be on the woods. And then we have tremendous experts on our, you know, working with us, such as uh, Eddie and Bill, 
And we have them bring in their years and years, literally decades of experience and try to match that up with the days to give everybody sort of a look at what they could expect for the, the coming deer season. And obviously, we know things are going to really be dependent uh, on things like the weather conditions, uh, temperatures and, uh, you know, deer pressure, uh, excuse me, hunting pressure in your area and things like that. So sort of those hyper local conditions, it gets closer, but it's still really exciting to take sort of a, a mid range look at the upcoming deer season. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that even the people, you know, on our panel, it's funny as you're talking about the, the fishing game forecaster, I was thinking, you know, I do know people, uh, you know, even in the industry who swear by things like moon phase or moon position. And some of those guys kill a lot of big deer. And then I think about Bill and I'm thinking, I don't think Bill puts a whole lot of stock in any of that. But at the same time, you know, he has his own keys that he looks for, um, you know, and I think it has more to do with his historical observations and data and things like that. But, you know, uh, I throw it over to you, Bill, you know, when you look ahead to the deer season, after all the years that you've been chasing whitetails, killing big whitetails, uh, what is it that you sort of key, on, key in on and, and maybe how has your outlook changed, you know, on the way you approach deer season today versus what you might have done 20 or 30 years ago? Yeah, I think it's a lot different now. The uh, biggest reason is the trail cameras. You know, we had to assume so many things back in those days that we didn't really know if they were true or not. We had to guess at a lot of things. We had to look at a set of tracks and say, oh, that's a big buck or, you know, it's a, we, we didn't really know what we were doing to be honest with you. It's more, um, here's some sign, you know, maybe if I sit downwind of this sign, the, the buck that made it will come past. Well, I mean, that, that's just, uh, occasionally it works, but it usually doesn't work. Um, you know, so what we've learned, I think, over the past 20 years is what deer really do and not what we think they do. And that's more based on what we've learned from studying the trail cameras and comparing notes with other people who study trail cameras. Um, you know, I, I think we know, I don't know how many, what multiple of times more than what we did back then, but it's a lot. Um, so anyway, you start processing all of that information over the years and you say, well, there's certain trends that you can find here and you can back those trends up with what you see when you're hunting. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what I base it on. I, I base it on more comparing notes with other people. And then what I've learned from, you know, probably 15 to 20 years of pretty extensive trail camera work. Um, and that leads you to a certain conclusion, I guess. Uh, so, so when I go into the season, I'm thinking in terms of what I've learned, um, but I'm not saying that some of the things that other people are forecasting are wrong. It's just that they don't necessarily line up with, with what I've, you know, what I've found. Um, well, it's and it, it, there's no, there's no perfect science to any no. of this anyway. If, if there no, was, we'd all kill a booner every year. Yeah. There's no simple formula. So you have to, it's just a process of adjustments. You have a starting point and then you make a process of adjustments as the season goes. And, uh, some of them work and some of them don't. And, and when they work, you know, you, you feel like you really know what you're doing. And when they don't, you feel like you got your butt kicked again. Um, so that's that's why tail hunting. Well, but the thing that you mentioned regarding trail cameras, what jumped into my mind and Mark, you'll relate to this. It's funny. 
I think that just about every one of the five giants that you wrote up uh, from last year for our November issue, those people were all relying heavily on trail cameras to monitor those deer. We also have features in that November issue from Clint Casper and Emily Conkler, two giant bucks that they killed in Ohio, trail cameras. It's a theme, you know, it comes up over and over again. The trail camera technology is really revolutionizing the way that people hunt. And Eddie, I wanna throw it over to you because I know you you use trail cameras and you can talk about a little bit on that if you want before we start to jump into these different uh, parts of the season. But the other thing that I'd like to hear from you, Eddie, is you're very interesting uh, in this discussion because for most of your life, you hunted DIY public land, whitetails, or on permission on private lands. And so you were always competing with a lot of other hunters. Now, I think the last couple of years, right? You've, you've gotten some ground in Kansas and it's really changed your whole outlook on the deer season. Talk a little bit about those two mindsets because people who are watching, listening to this podcast, right? A lot of them are gonna be coming from where you spent most of your life and that was your bread and butter. But of course, a bunch of people also have a lease or a farm and, and it, it, it maybe is two different ways to approach the season depending on you know, the ground that you have available to hunt. Yeah, I, uh, I've almost like turned over a new leaf in my whitetail hunting life because I have never had a place dependable before. I um, always had a lot of factors that kept me from being able to really do what, you know, Bill has done for so many years. I'm finally getting to do a little bit of that now and really observe them year round in their native unbothered habitat and learn a lot more about whitetails than I ever knew before. I just hunted them basically two months a year, you know, during the rut. And I was pretty good at that. I developed a system that worked well for me, uh, especially dealing with, you know, a lot of high pressure situations. And it wasn't based on a lot of technology. It was just based on years of, you know, adding up what worked savvy, in other words, and uh, figuring out how to beat the people and figuring out how to get where, you know, a good buck would travel through during the rut. And now, of course, I have the other side of the coin and it, it's kind of a definitely, it's about as different as black and white. I mean, I, I don't really have to apply a lot of the things I did before. I can hunt them early now or I can hunt them late. I don't have to hunt them just during the rut. I can learn a lot about them year round, figure out where they're living and what they're doing. It seems a lot, um, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm the old man of the mountain here, but I kind of come from the where I cut my teeth with just plain old deer savvy, what you could add up in your head. Like Bill said, it wasn't always right, but, you know, you, you did the best you could with it. And I'm still kind of that way. I just use trail cameras mainly to, to kind of get a feel for what bucks are in the general area. I don't really attempt to learn their lifestyle a lot or figure out exactly when and where they're moving as a hunting strategy. I just like to know, you know, what's around so that I can make informed decisions on maybe what I want to try to, you know, shoot or not. And uh, then I just kind of still hunt them just by feel. I just, you know, I'll probably go down with the ship, just being the old codger that just hunts them by you know, what he, he's learned over his lifetime. And, and I don't use a whole lot of technology in the process. You're like the pinball wizard of deer hunting, man. 
You can't well, I, do that in 2022. It doesn't sell any product, Eddie. You well, got to have cellular yeah. trail cameras, scientifically designed camouflage to disrupt the ocular nerves of whitetails, <laughs> and you got to have an ozone machine over your head. If yeah. you don't have those three things, you'll never kill a deer. Christian, well, maybe I should shut. Maybe I should shut you down before the publisher gets on here. And <laughs> well, yeah. let's uh, let's jump in, you know, because we could talk generally all day, but I want to hit there's five dates and and sort of those dates signify maybe five different periods of the whitetail season from early through late that people can key on and maybe there's some different mindsets strategies mm -hmm. tactics that work um i don't know mark if you want to kind of set up each one i don't know if you have that article you know handy i do if you don't but if you do have it handy why don't you kind of introduce the first date which is uh i think september 10th and we can talk a little bit about early season hunting you know absolutely you know not every state has an early season opener but there are a number uh, montana idaho kentucky where you're heading delaware uh here on the east coast so there are opportunities for for people to get out at the very beginning of september and do some quality whitetail hunting if you live in that state or if you're a traveling bow hunter um and when looking at the forecast for this year, one day where the movement really coincided well uh, with an evening hunt was uh, Thursday, September 8th. Uh, and that's really getting towards probably the the end of the time where you have a chance to get a, a buck in velvet, but everything seemed to line up really well. And, you know, if you do your homework and you're able to pattern deer, if they're still in the summer patterns, you have a really good chance of taking uh, a quality buck. Um, and I've had some success with that in, in years gone by when I've been able to sort of identify a buck or two that I wanted to go after earlier in the season. While most of my hunting takes place later in the year, uh, there are some good quality opportunities. Yeah, and I'll just, uh, I'll kind of try and tackle that since I am hunting early. And uh, I know a couple of the dates, like the next one I really want Bill to focus on. Uh, the early season is interesting because in the states where the season opens this soon there's still a window of opportunity where those bucks are going to be on those summertime patterns generally you know from bed to feed in the evenings it's hard a lot of times to do productive morning sits because if the deer are out in the ag fields feeding it's hard to get to a stand without bumping deer a lot of the, a lot of your effort is in the afternoons and to your point mark you know we we looked at a time earlier in September where the forecast seemed to indicate good afternoon, late afternoon, evening movement. And like you said, typically it's that first week that gets all the press. You know, like I'll be hunting the first four days of the season down in Kentucky, because what you're gonna see in early September, again, coming back to trail cameras, you might have four or five, you know, bucks on your hit list and you're gonna see day by day fewer and fewer of those deer are still in velvet because literally each day a certain percentage of those bucks are going to strip that velvet and by about the 10th of september there's not really going to be any velvet bucks left on the landscape so um but even you know even you don't have to shoot a velvet deer you know those bucks are still going to stay on that summer pattern over the course of that, those first 10 days and it's going to shift over the course of september and by the first of october as you and i know mark hunting here in pennsylvania what you see on september 1 versus october 1 are not the same at all and you know i'm 
I, mean, I know you and I have felt many times, you know, if our season opened up a month earlier here, you know, it would be a lot easier to try and kill a buck on a pattern. Um, so, you know, the, typically those evening sits on on food sources and again if you're not if you're not target, targeting you know one particular buck then just getting on any well used food source you know soybean fields tend to be the most popular like down there in Kentucky where I hunt I'm sure there's other food sources other parts of the country or even if you can find a good place in the woods again access can be a little tricky early in the season but the acorns are dropping now too so that can be productive as well um, if you guys want to chime in anything else on the early season I'll let you do that um, otherwise we can move on <clears throat> real quick I think uh, the one thing I've seen in the few places that I've hunted the early season is uh, when the bachelor groups start to break up because that pattern goes away. So that's kind of like your ticking clock for that summer pattern. And uh, it can look really, really good the last week of August. And you think, man, this is going to be awesome. And then the 5th of September comes around and the season opens or whatever. And the bachelor groups have already started to break up. And that starts that dispersal, you know, where the bucks start going into their fall ranges. And then sort of, it's really frustrating. You know, I think that, you know, if you could hunt them the last week of August, I think it'd be awesome in the first few days of September. But you get past about the 5th, it seems like, and that that clock is really your enemy. Um, every day it gets worse. Um, and, and that's just because they're spreading out. Yeah, that's why um, a lot of people are excited down like in Kentucky this year because the way the calendar falls, the season opens on the 3rd. So, you know, may, there might be a few days where, you know, yeah. you can get some predictability. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Mark, why don't you move on and, and go to uh, section number two, because I think that's a sort of a later October date. And uh, that's kind of right in Mr. Winky's wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a new moon on October 25th and um, uh, the forecast is predicting there's going to be some really good activity from roughly the 27th to the 30th. And uh, I want to say, you know, a lot of guys love hunting those first two weeks of November, but I have uh, a couple of bow hunting friends who swear by that last week of October. Um, and so uh, looking at the forecast, everything really aligns nicely. Um, you're, you're looking at good activity around uh, 420. Uh, 430 is, you know, as far as uh, the forecaster predicting, and um, it should be great for a evening sit. But, uh, uh, you know, if you hit it right, you could have some really great hunting in that in that last week of those last 10 days of October. And I know, Bill, you're a big proponent of getting out then. Yeah, and I think it's uh, regardless of the forecast, you know, I, I don't want to be cynical about the forecast, but yep. um, that time frame is going to be good, whatever the forecast says. And it's just that phase of the rut where uh, the bucks are starting to get pretty, uh, you know, I'd say wired up. They're getting, you know, wound, but there aren't any does really in estrus yet, or maybe just a very, very few early ones. So now the whole list of possible candidates are on their feet trying to find that first hot doe. So you get some cool weather in there. It's almost like you flip the switch and, uh, you know, they kind of, I would say that's the, one of the best times of the season if you get a cold front during those last four or five days of October uh, you definitely want to find a way to take advantage of that you know other than that you know you slip in November and there's lots of good days there too but if you can catch you know a cold front during that last part of October that's uh 
is pretty hard to beat. Yeah, and I know one of the things that you like about that, Bill, is you feel that that's a time, not only will those bucks be moving more during the day, if you get that cool weather late in the month, but you'll be more apt to find some of those particular bucks that you might have on camera, you know, deer that you specifically would want to kill, they're still a little bit closer to their home range and more predictable there than they will be, say, in another week or week and a half. Yeah, and I think that even works for the low-tech guys that don't want to mess with trail cameras or just don't have any, because the bucks that you hunted last season during that time frame are probably going to be in the same area again this year. You know, there's a certain pretty high probability of it. You know, some of them will disperse to a different range if they're still alive for the fall, but most of them go from wherever they spent the summer to the same place they spent the previous fall. Uh, so you, you kind of can compound on what you learned the year before and uh, take it one step further. And you know, that's one of the advantages I think that Eddie you'll find when you're hunting your own ground is some of the bucks that get away, um, you will have learned enough that season when they got away to uh, say, okay, well, I know enough now maybe where I can catch up with this deer. And fortunately, he's probably going to be in that same spot where he was the previous, previous fall. So th that's where, you know, like I said, even if you're not sitting someplace where you've got trail camera data, um, any kind of information that you have about deer that were in that area the year before, they're probably going to be there. And it's and like you say, they're not, they haven't left yet. You know, the rut hasn't pulled them away. And uh, that makes for some some pretty predictable hunting, pretty high quality, predictable hunting. Yeah, and Eddie, you know, to follow up on what Bill said, I know, cause I just read your, you know, feature about you and Peggy <laughs> and your hunt from last fall. You know, when you were doing the public land hunting, you would typically not get an opportunity to do a ton of observation in a given area because you were going to identify a likely spot, set up your stand, and kill the first really nice buck that showed up. So sometimes that took you a little while, but a lot of times it was within a day or two or three, and you were in there and out of there. Now, last year, last couple years, you've been out there in this late October period, and you've been watching all the bucks in the area, right, come by. And so you've gotten a chance to see how they behave. Like you said, you're learning. Um, you know, just talk to me about that. And, and you know, because I know you and Peggy both had lots of nice deer come through uh, in late October last year, and that was kind of a really enjoyable thing for you guys. Yeah, it's total different world for us now. We're just into the uh warm and fuzzy feeling stage to where finally we're getting to kick back and enjoy peace and quiet and really, you know, no pressure. And just I'm, I'm getting to where I'm not sure how much killing I'm going to be doing in the future because I you feel an attachment to the deer on your property. And, you know, like Bill said, some of them, some are there and disappear, go right somewhere else. Some will move in from somewhere in the fall that they summered somewhere else. And then of course, some of them stay local the whole time and learning all that's been interesting. And uh, it makes for a crapshoot in a way, but uh, you know, like October, your locals, you know, the ones that are gonna stay there, they'll still be there. And usually by then the other ones from somewhere else haven't moved in quite yet. So it is a really great time late October if you wanna kill a local deer that's, you know, um, your target deer. 
I don't worry about that anymore because I haven't yet. This is only my this will be my third autumn on the place coming up, and we have not shot a mature. Well, I we haven't shot a uh, large antlered deer yet. We we've took a few uh, lower quality mature deer out, but uh, we're just kind of watching them and enjoying them, and you know just really not trying to kill them does that make sense i mean I, I i don't i never thought i'd ever get to the point where i could ever actually let 140 inch or 150 inch deer walk because you know my life of public land you know scrapping and scrimping those were deer that you had better kill and and move on and now i have the opportunity to let them uh, let them go and uh, and 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 just enjoy them so i you know i'm learning and um, enjoying and not doing a lot of killing. And uh, we'll see how that works out for me. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I like, I know you and I have talked about it, you know, personally. I, I'm thrilled for you guys that you've been able to do that and you've had I, the blessing. Can I say something? Can I yeah. say something, Christian? So I can mirror the same thing, except I was trying to kill stuff and didn't do a lot of killing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that happens with me plenty too. I mean, I don't tell you about all the boots I pull, but yeah, uh, a lot of observation. It sounds better than the fact that I'm not just not getting the job done. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, let's uh, let's move on to the next segment, and I know that uh, why don't you kind of introduce that and let Eddie take uh, the first crack? Because again, I think he's got a lot of insight for the the DIY public land guys, and then we'll let Bill follow up too because Bill just wrote a heck of a story uh, for, our, for our November issue about some, some simple rut strategies that I think would really be helpful for people. Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, as you move into November, you're moving toward the peak of the rut, especially in the northern two thirds of the United States. And and almost any any day in that first uh, week to 10 days of November is going to be really good. Uh, we we focused on November 7th, but, uh, um, you know, that's the time of the year where you can do some good all day sits. Uh, the forecaster, if, if you're following the forecaster, predicts some good peak movement times midday. Uh, but there's a lot of things that yeah we don't we don't need a forecaster to tell us November seventh is going to be yeah. good though right yeah. Mark absolutely so uh, you guys can take it away but uh, obviously a great time of the year to be in the woods Eddie yeah that's my definite wheelhouse uh, early November through late November has been my bread and butter for forty years and uh, just. You know, I put more emphasis on the spot that I set than I do the deer that may be or may not be around. I've always just focused on being able to find those uh, travel corridors, I call them. And, and I, I find them a lot of times in places way off the wall, way off the map of the average guy, because I'm also very much into, you know, wanting to get away from the public land crowd one way or the other. And it can be done if you if you study your maps and your Google Earth and and everything and on X and use it all, put it together and just really, really study it a lot in off season. You can find the places that are harder to get to or very, very um, not normal type places like little brushy ravines that run out through big pastures or something where deer can, big bucks can jump from one area, you know, to another. And like November the 7th, to me, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, they're not, 
totally helter skelter yet. They're getting pretty psycho at that point, but you, your, your giants really haven't come out of the woodwork yet. So, I mean, if you're just out to kill a good public land buck, the first week or two of November has always been a, a great one. And the biggest thing that I learned, it took a lot of time for me to get to where I had the patience and the wherewithal to do it was the midday setting. Um, I have killed innumerable good public land deer in the middle of the day, which I call from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, I could tell story after story. Uh, I've, I've literally been dozed off in my tree stand at straight up noon and have one wake me up grunting below me at noon and, and harvest the deer. So, I mean, you really ought to pack a lunch, take a pea bottle and a book or whatever blows your skirt up to keep you, you know, in the tree and stay all day because I've always said that about 20 or 30% of your harvest will be added on to your total during midday kills. So if you want to kill two or three more out of every 10, uh, get out there and stay all day during the, the peak of the, the rut. Eddie, there's one more thing before we toss it over to Bill that I want you to talk about. You mentioned how you get unconventional or a little off the wall spots sometimes. And I think back over the years for many of the articles that I've edited of yours, uh, some of these really big deer, um, you know, like out in Kansas, you'll literally find like one tree. Like, I'm not even exaggerating, one stinking tree out in yep. the middle of the prairie, and it'll yep. there'll be like some bushes there, and it's yeah. rubbed up to heck, and you'll be like, this is the spot. Talk to me about the conviction that's required to find a place like that and say, by God, I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to climb up in this tree where you can see a mile in every direction and there ain't a deer in sight and I'm going to sit my ass here and I'm going to kill a 150 in about six days. Yeah, it, it took a long time for me to get there, but, you know, repetitively over the years of just, you know, running into deer out in the prairie when I was walking to and from my hunts and things and finally figuring out that the big deer Number one, you got to get the mentality. A lot of those mature bucks, they just don't live the normal lifestyle of other deer. They, if you're hunting normal deer, I always said, then you're not hunting the most mature deer in your area because they don't live in the same places and do the same things that normal deer do. So I just finally, over the years, realized that during that time in November, if I was out in the prairie or anywhere, farmland maybe, uh, I've, I've set some really, really just patches of cover out in agricultural fields and things in, in Illinois and places. And if you sit there during the rut and do some calling, calling is important that time of year. To, you know, a lot of times you'll see a big buck cruising at a distance. And of course, they're very callable usually. But just get there and stay all day in those off-the-wall places, especially if it's public land, because people get up and do a lot of roaming around on public land, and they will disperse a lot of deer and get them to moving. And a lot of big deer are very comfortable bedding out in the open. Uh, grass that's waist high, a deer can lay down in and just have his eyeballs up above the plane and look around and feel very comfortable bedded out there. And so... Don't overlook open areas for big deer, uh, especially in the rut. And a lot of bucks will run does out into those areas to breed them 
and keep them out in the open away from all the other deer because they don't like all the other bucks, you know, coming by and trying to take their estrus doe away from them, you know. So they get them out in the open and get them away from the rest of the herd. And so it's just something you've got to learn and get in your own heart and mind that it will work. And it, it beats setting right where everybody else is setting is another thing to keep in your mind. Don't go to the common spots because you're going to get hammered with people and be very frustrated. So be willing to go out on a limb and and you'll 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 figure out pretty quickly that it's it's a, a win-win deal. Yeah, as you're talking about that, Eddie, I'm thinking, you know, there, I think we all know spots where we can go like every day and see a bunch of deer. But uh -huh. none of them, none of them are the buck that we want to shoot, you know, right. so you were really good or I should say were you're still at it. You are really good at finding places where I'm going to sit here and I might not see any deer for two days or three days. But on day four, I'm finally going to see a deer and it's going to be a buck and I'm going to kill it. And that's going to be that. So, yeah, great advice there. Now, kicking it over to Bill on the rut. You know, we had a conversation just recently uh, as we bounced some ideas off each other for your most recent article that people will see in the November issue. Just about how kind of the great thing about the rut is you don't have to overcomplicate it. You don't have to overthink it. It's you know, deer hunting at any time of the season is all about being in the right place at the right time. And there's no righter time, okay, to be grammatically incorrect than the rut. That is the right time. So now all you need is the right place. And there are a handful of really right places to sit during the rut. Yeah, and, and for sure, um, you know, we can look at the two parallels, you know, the one where you've got a deer pattern, you know where the right place is, and now the rut is the right time, you know, so you can sit in the most likely travel areas within that area where that deer is living. And, and I do pretty much what Eddie does. I don't, I don't try to figure out exactly what a buck is doing, you know, every day of his life. I just want to know where he's living roughly, because then you take maybe a hunting area that's got say X number of acres and you whittle it down to 20% of that, and you spend your time hunting quality stands in that 20% because that's where you're likely to run across that buck. So, you know, let's say you don't know that there's a big deer there because you don't have, you know, previous intelligence on, on you know, sightings or trail camera pictures, but you still say, well, these are the types of spots that bucks move through during those key parts of the rut. And, and uh, they're pretty simple. I mean, it's just, it's travel corridors, like Eddie was saying. You know, you don't have to overcomplicate this. Um, the only way that it gets complicated is if the getting in and out messes the spot up. You know, finding those spots is pretty straightforward. You know, you can look at an aerial photo and you can find you know, probably at least 60%, you know, of, of what I would call the best spots on any given property. And they're going to be, you know, some type of funnel, you know, something that bottlenecks the deer. Um, but they're not all going to be huntable because some of them you're just not going to be able to sneak in and out of without spooking the deer. So, uh, or at least, you know, educating the deer that are living there. So that's and the, the only and part the, and the wind, the wind too, Bill, talk about mm -hmm. that because the winds and a lot of the really good spots are almost impossible to deal with too. Yeah. If you're down, if you're down in a valley, you're going to get swirling, which is a killer. The only solution I found then is you've got to be in some kind of a blind that you can close up the windows and keep the, you know, your scent inside. Uh, I haven't found, well, I shouldn't say that. I have found methods of keeping your own body set down to as close to zero as you can get. But 
it's not a comfortable way to hunt. It's kind of an extreme method, but, you know, just conventional style of hunting, you need to be where the wind isn't swirling. So that's one of the keys. Um, and the other one is just obviously you don't want the wind to blow to where the deer are when you're going in and out or where they're coming from while you're sitting there. So that's going to disqualify some of the spots on any given day. So the, the it's simple to say these are the 12 spots on this farm where you can kill a buck during the rut. But then you've got to whittle that down to which are the two or three that with these wind conditions uh, I can hunt effectively. So every day it changes a little bit because, you know, the wind, you know, usually changes a little bit each day too. So you're always kind of making that adjustment. Um, but you don't have to, you don't have to know everything that that deer is going to do. I don't know. I've never known a deer well enough other than maybe just a very small handful that I could say, here's where that deer is going to be today. Uh, it's more about uh, he's living in this area. These are the kind of places that deer bucks go through during the rut. Uh, I'm just going to sit here and hope he comes by. Yeah. And one thing you said actually in your article to follow up on that, we're talking about peak rut period. Okay. In this segment. And you talk about, Hey, I don't know. I don't know where this buck is going to be every day. A buck doesn't know where he's going to be every day. Cause like you said in the article, you know, he's, he's saying, Hey, I'm going to, you know, head over to this clover field and check and see if there's any does. And while he's on his way there, lo and behold, he, he bumps into a doe. And you know, the next thing they both know they're a half a mile away. Cause they went and sprinted across a cornfield onto the neighbor's property. Yeah, that's right. So you can only play, excuse me, you can only play the odds and look for trends in movement. I, I just feel like if you try to program a deer like you program a computer, you're going to be in for a lot of frustration. Yep. So with that, Mark, let's move on because we've got two more segments to still get through. Uh, next one is, uh, I believe it's a December date. It's probably sort of what we would call your classic uh, secondary rut. Uh, so mm -hmm. take it away, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, after the, the rut, uh, passes through, you know, a lot of bow hunters may um, think their best opportunity for the year has ended, or they may switch to gun hunting. But uh, you do have that uh, secondary run in, in the beginning of December, uh, mid-December. And I, I will say years ago, here in Pennsylvania, our, our firearm season starts usually around the end of November. And um, I hunt a lot of small properties, and uh, sometimes it's hard to find deer during daylight time. So I started to go back to my archery spots in the beginning of December. I've taken my two biggest bucks in the state in that December time frame uh, by hunting some of my archery only areas. A little odd because you might be in here in Pennsylvania, you have to wear orange and you're sitting out there in orange, but it can be a very successful tactic if you have some some lightly hunted areas or if you can find some really uh, good hot spots in areas where some really thick cover, you can have a lot of great success in that early uh, December time frame. You know, Eddie, one thing that I think is to a bow hunter's advantage in December um, is a lot of guys by that point have given up and they've either given up because they tagged out. So they haven't really given up. They tagged out, but they're out of the woods. And then the guys that haven't tagged out are discouraged because they hunted, you know, in October, they hunted during the peak of the rut. They were sure that they were going to kill their buck, you know, during that magical, you know, first two weeks of November. It didn't happen. Now the holidays are upon them, right? Uh, Mama's a little upset because he spent too much time in the woods and he's got to get ready for Christmas and all that. And so, you know, I know you've killed an awful lot of good bucks during that 
you know, December period. And when you are going to have those does that weren't bred, you know, the first time they came in and, and those bucks are still going to be looking for those deer and moving around. Yes, I've, I learned way back in the 80s, uh, way back there early on about how productive, you know, late season can be. Uh, there are a lot of variables there. Of course, public land is a, is a tough egg to, to crack because of a lot of times after the gun season and the mass influx of what will have occurred during the early season and rut, you know, December can be very difficult on public land. But if you have done your homework and figured out where the few little hidey holes are on that public land, there's always still going to be a mature deer or two around. Uh, they, they don't all get killed every year. And so you just got to figure out where those real remote spots are and hopefully in conjunction with a food source because late season as you get into November the does will start to yard up on food sources. Uh, I've had good luck late season on winter wheat uh, or late acorn crop somewhere you know red oaks sometimes drop certain trees will drop acorns real late and you can get a pretty good concentration of does and all you got to know in early to mid-December is if you got a good concentration of does in, in a fairly unbothered spot, just hang around the fringes of it each day according to the wind, get around where these does are feeding, get on any side of it. You know, it's hard to get in there. You got to usually take one day and do a little disruption. But if necessary, go in there and set up two or three or four stands around the perimeter of the feeding area. and then. I have called a number of bucks into me that were chasing hot does in early December, actually plumb into Christmas week. I've seen some giant bucks between Christmas and New Year's trying to breed yearling does that were evidently young does that had come in heat. And I, I've had some tremendous encounters plumb up until the end of December uh, around food sources where does were yarded up. You want to uh, add anything to that, Bill, or do you want to just jump right into the late, late season? Well, <clears throat> you know, I wish I, I wish I knew more about that, to be honest with you. You know, the people talk about it all the time. And in Iowa, the uh, shotgun season comes in the first Saturday of December, and then it goes out, I guess it'd be the third Sunday, maybe something like that, whatever it is. Um, we don't really get a chance to hunt what would be typically the secondary rut, if you want to call it that. So I've never, I've never really felt like I had a, a grip on that. You know, some, some years, the first Saturday in December comes the, you know, December 7th, you know, so you're hunting with a bow up, you know, through the first part of December and you think, well, you know, the doe cycle every 28 days, you know, whatever. So you should be hitting the second cycle somewhere in early December. Um, what I see more than anything else during that time is the bucks that are so wore down from the rut that they're going to food first. And if there happens to be a doe there, they eat a little bit, then they go and sniff around, you know, to see what, what the status of that doe is. Um, they just seem like they're so run down and so food oriented. I've had good success on that pattern. And, and maybe it's a coincidence, you know, that, that they happen to be going to the places where there are does, or maybe they're going to the places where the does are because of the secondary rut, you know, consideration. I don't know. 
Um, but I do know it's all about the food. And, and in my in my experience, the any dough you know coming in on a second cycle is just a bonus. But those bucks, man, they're they're wore down. They're looking for food. Well, and I think that really brings us to the the fifth and final you know key period and day um, that you identified in the article, Mark. Um, you know, and it's interesting because I'll I'll let you introduce this, but. As, as I think about this late season, a couple things jump out at me again relative to the two bucks that we'll have in that November issue that came out of Ohio. Clint, Clint ended up killing his buck, and he had one particular buck that he was hunting last year, and he wanted to kill that thing, you know, opening week in September. And it took him, I think, until the 25th or 26th of January to finally get a shot at that deer. I think he said 76 days in the field hunting one buck. He passed up. I was out there in early November. I killed a nice buck at one of uh, his farms. And while I was sitting in the tree, he was texting me pictures of 150 inch deer. He was letting them walk right under his tree. I'm like, what are you doing, man? But that's the way that Clint hunts. But the point is it was nasty weather and this is the thing about late season. And Emily Emily Conkler, who killed another giant over there, hers was February 4th or 5th. She shot it the last or the second to last evening. And again, she started her season with five different mature bucks on her camera, took her from September to February, actually recovered the deer on the last morning of the Ohio uh, season. So uh, first of all, Again, you gotta you gotta be tough to hunt that long. You gotta have a certain amount of drive. You've gotta be willing to suffer because both of those people went out in bitter cold and hung stands in new spots for hanging hunts to get on those bucks who, to Bill's point, showed up back on food like when they had no clue where these deer were and they came back out of the woodwork for the food in, in late January and early February when ice and snow was covering everything up. But Mark introduced that, and then I'll let these two guys uh, fill in the gaps. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, you call it the late, late season, because uh, the interesting thing about that is not every state has a deer season that's still open already when you're moving into that January or February time frame. Bill, I think you you told me previously that your seasons close in, in early January. And uh, so you have opportunities where you can hunt in the late season, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, obviously down south where the, where, you know, in the deep south where the rust kicking the high gear, but other places may be closed already. But the key aspects there are obviously finding a hot food source or hoping the the buck that you've been watching shows back up. Uh, evening hunts are, are are by far the more predictable or easy to try and pattern, but to, you can have some exceptional hunting. And it seems like it gets better if the weather turns nastier and gnarlier. And so we we pick January 11th, but you know as, you, as that month progresses and you can really get on a deer, you have a good chance to have some success. Eddie, you wanna? jump in you ever do i know you've done some pretty cold nasty hunts i can think of articles you've written for me there was one particular one just to jog your memory i think you were set up on a hillside along some railroad tracks somewhere and you had a big buck i don't even remember what state you were in but you, you remember the hunt i'm talking about yeah that was a wyoming whitetail i killed it on the last day of season and 
the wind chill was 35 below zero. It was an endurance hunt back in the day when I was tough as nails and dumber than rocks. But anyway, uh, yeah, but you know, I probably am not the best uh, authority on it because my season has always ended by the end of uh, December every year because for the past 28 years, I'm always in the desert by January 1, you know, hunting a little desert whitetail. So I probably ought to defer on this one and let Bill talk about it. Yeah, the the biggest challenge that I find as a bow hunter during that time frame is the fact that most of the smaller food sources are gone. You know, the the deer have eaten uh, pretty much everything that's there through the early part of the fall into the early part of the winter or the you know mid fall through the early winter. So now you've got these little one acre clover fields, you know, kind of not drawing any deer. Maybe you've got a small bean plot or something, the corner of some field that was good in November. It's not pulling anything. So the deer are going to the big fields because that's where the remaining food is. It's so hard to bow hunt those spots. I mean, I call it, you know, trying to bow hunt from a rifle stand. And uh, so that it's not a question of, you know, can you find these deer? Uh, a lot of times you can find them, but can you kill them? That's the hard part. Um, because even if you're saying, okay, I'm going to try to catch where they come out of the, out of the woods. Well, now you've got, you know, how are you going to do that? Because he's not going to be the first one that comes out. Which direction is the wind going to be blowing that gives you a safe wind to put a tree stand up where he's coming out? Um, so it's really, really hard to kill um, late season whitetails with a bow in a big feeding area. And I've started using blinds quite a bit. I put them on trailers and I roll them around. And Eddie, you might play with this a little bit down there because I think you'd have fun with it. But you can, you can move them. So like... The deer don't seem to care, you know, once they've accepted that blind on the field, they don't care if it's 50 yards one way or the other from where it was the day before. So you can kind of tweak your way in on them sometimes. And because uh, then all you have to know is where they end up in the field. You don't have to know where they come out because you're not going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, you're not going to get away with hunting them where they come out anyway, because there's no safe wind. Um, so that's one thing that's kind of worked, but it's been very, very frustrating. Uh, You'll see them. You might even see them every single day uh, or let's say three days a week coming out into these bigger feeding areas. And you just can't kill them. Um, it's fun, but but I'm not that guy that's going to sit out there if it's 20 below zero. Um, you know, I might have done it a little bit at one point in my life, but um, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's just not fun. <laughs> so I'm not. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've never been that guy, but yeah. I would I would like you to talk a little bit more about blinds, Bill, because actually, that's one of the that's probably one of the biggest changes, you know, other than trail cameras, that's had an impact on your hunting because you probably do. I mean, you can tell me, but you do like half of your hunting now. Would you say in a blind versus a tree stand? Yeah, probably. You know, it depends on the the year, the location, you know, where the deer is that I'm trying to hunt, whatever, you know, the, the situation dictates how you hunt. If I'm in the timber, I'm in a tree, obviously, because you can't hunt out of blinds in the timber very well. But if I'm in a field uh, or in a low spot where the wind swirls, I'm probably in a blind because, you know, maybe it's not as much fun because you feel like you're in a closet, you know, with the door cracked and you're just peeking out through a little opening. But it's just so much more effective, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and uh, if you only want to have fun or I don't know, whatever you want to call it, I like killing deer too. So that's part of the fun for me. But um, blinds aren't as much fun, 
but in a lot of situations, they're just more effective, you know, bottom line. So that's why I hunt out of them. And there's certain places where there's absolutely no question that they're way better than a tree stand. Yeah. And we could do a whole episode on, on yeah. that sometime. Eddie, yeah. do you have uh, anything to add on any of that late season stuff that we've talked about or even blind hunting? Uh, not really. Both topics are not my forte. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time in blinds on whitetails. Uh, I just have not explored that avenue a lot. And late season, like I said, I'm usually headed for warmer climates by late December. So I'll defer. Thank you. All right. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we close with this? And I'll keep it with you, Eddie. Why don't we close uh, with each of us just giving... Uh, our own little personal outlook for the deer season, like a minute or less, you know, or, or is there a particular deer, you know, that you have on your radar and, or what are your, your travel plans and the hunts that you're really looking forward to? Eddie, kick us off. Well, I'm going into the golden years. Uh, my outlook mentally and physically is changing drastically and i'm just looking forward to the season in a more mellow way now i have a place to enjoy i'm not going to travel a whole lot on whitetails i used to jump two or three states every fall and try to kill multiple book bucks but that just don't interest me anymore i'm just going to take it easy enjoy myself see what happens and uh just i just thank god for the fact i'm still in the game and healthy and able to do it that's awesome, man. You've earned the right and you have a collection of antler that a few other bow hunters in North America will match. So if you want to put your rocking chair up in the tree here for a few years and watch the bucks run by, then that's that's fine with us. <laughs> hey, thinking, speaking of that, I want to start auctioning off or getting rid of a bunch of my stuff we're going to probably move with enough to kansas one of these days and i got to get rid of this freak show i got going on here so uh, i need your advice on how to start getting rid of a bunch of antlers <laughs> oh i don't know bill might be bill might be more i don't have you know the, a pile like you to get rid of but i might be interested in bidding on a claypool you know signature <laughs> series rack or something like that if i could get one i'd be honored to have it here you know in my office that would be great um mark why don't you uh go next what do you have on tap for this fall so uh i have a couple acres at my house small parcel and for the past couple of years i've been focused on trying to get a big by pennsylvania standards buck i had a really nice buck last year missed my one opportunity adam um showed up on a day i couldn't be in the stand but my goal is to to try and get one here on my own property at my house um it's a bit challenging due to it's a small woodlot but it's something that i get pumped about every year i think it's a an achievable goal uh other than that i you know i always say you know, we can do a forecast like this, but but the reality is there's really no bad to be in a tree or bad day to be in a blind uh, when you can get out and enjoy the uh, the autumn weather, um, see a few deer and have a great experience. Um, it's a win, win, win. Bill, um, you know, living in Iowa is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I, you know, I think it's arguably the best whitetail destination in America. Um, 
but then on the other hand, people kind of expect you to kill a, a big buck every year and, and you can't use the, the semi-retirement card like, like Eddie, you know? So you got to get out there and do it because you set the bar high again this past year, sleeping up on a ridge. You talk about the fact that you, you're kind of like, don't like suffering anymore. You're still willing to suffer for big bucks. Don't try to deny that. Well, it, it wasn't cold though. It was not suffering. It was just boring. So anyway, the... Uh, I think I'm more like Eddie than, than what you might think, but uh, the uh, my fall is going to be at home. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to hunt Iowa. I don't have any plans to go anywhere else. I, I, you know, as a landowner now, I get an extra tag, so I can. I mean, I don't need to go anywhere. Uh, but one of the things I'm excited about, and we'll see how it plays out, but um, there's a family not too far from the land that I own that owns a bunch of land, and their son who works the farm only gets a few days a year to bow hunt. And they've got some unbelievable ground. I mean, great deer on it. I've hunted near it in the past, shot some you know really nice bucks there. They have given me kind of a, um, maybe a opportunity to go in there and try to find the biggest deer on the property and try to help their son get that deer in front of them. I mean, I think that would just be a blast. You know, if they say, hey, shoot a management buck along the way or whatever, you know, that's not my priority. But I think it would be so much fun see what they've got on that farm and see if I can get, you know, this fella with maybe four or five days total of, of the season to bow hunt, get that deer in front of him. And I'll have plenty of fun, you know, on, on my own ground too, you know, for my own hunting, but I'm almost more excited about trying to solve that puzzle and enjoy that process as I am about, you know, trying to put myself in the right spot. Um, and maybe it's a process of life, you know, where you, you've killed enough like Eddie has and you're like, you know, I mean, it's fun. I like killing them. You know, that's a cool part of what we do. But, you know, I think there's an old saying, what was it? You don't hunt in order to kill. You kill in order to have hunted. You know, so it's more like it's part of the process now and not the, necessarily the, the only part of the process that matters. It's, it, it just is the, it's the carrot that pulls you through the part that does matter. You know, the, the journey. The journey is the destination. So anyway you know, throw a bunch of cliches at you. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's pretty, I don't have any pressure. There's no bucks that I'm after. Uh, I mean, I'll find a few to hunt. Uh, I'm just going to have fun, you know, kick back and, uh, you know, and, and just hunt the way that I like to hunt, which is to relax and, and, you know, really, like you say, you know, just enjoy the, this great you know opportunity that God has given us, you know, to, to be out there and, and see all this cool stuff. Well, I think that, uh, that deal there with that family and that property and the, the the young man, that sounds actually really interesting. I could see why, you know, you would enjoy that process and maybe, you know, like getting over there this fall and, and putting some cameras up and trying to formulate a game plan. I'm actually, I think it's going to be a great feature story. I hope you do it. I hope you guys are successful. But honestly, even if you're not you know, and I hate to even use that word, right? Because we shouldn't define success. Uh, you know, both of you guys have touched on it. It's not just about killing a deer, but typically we say, are you successful on a hunt? We're asking someone if they actually notched a tag. But I think no matter how that turns out, that would probably be a very educational process for the both of you and would make an interesting article because there will be things that come out of that that none of us could anticipate right now you know but in the in the end it will be very very 
Um, it, you know, interesting to see how that all plays out and the insights that you glean from that. Yeah, and they've got a lot of really, really beautiful land. And I know they've got some giant deer. So even just from a selfish standpoint, I just want to see what's on their farm. <laughs> even if I even if I don't oh, get to hunt, I want you know to see what's, what's there. Well, you know what's funny? If you're a deer hunter, I don't care how long you've been deer hunting. You know, Eddie, I know you like to talk about your, you know, coming into the last stage of and all that. But isn't there something about being a hunter where you just always want to see what's over the next hill? Like, I don't care how much good deer country you've seen. And it, it just freshens up your your whole outlook, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's great. So just real quick on me, then I guess I am the more of the, the traveler yet amongst our group. I, I had mentioned earlier, obviously I'm starting this weekend in Kentucky, hopefully, you know, get a shot at a nice velvet deer. That would be an awesome way to sort of, you know, break the ice on, on deer season. Um, and uh, from there, uh, of course, I'll be back here for, for our opener in early October. And then I'll be heading out to Kansas uh, towards Halloween i uh, spend about a week out there chasing rutting bucks with, you know, those simple methods. I, I love going to places like Kansas where there's a lot of mature deer, because if you're there during the right time of, of the year, all you have to do is pretty much find one of those funnels and just wait. And eventually you're going to get a deer uh, that's worth launching an arrow at. And then from there, I'll head, head to Ohio on my way home. That worked out for me really well last year going to Kansas killing a buck there and then it's about half you know uh, two-thirds of the way home from there really to ohio where clint uh you know lives and his family has a, a couple farms and farms a few others so he's got a kind of an embarrassment of riches of good whitetail ground there in in um, east central ohio so uh i'm not afraid to call in the favor of uh, having a good buddy there and and shooting one of his deer too and again it's just um I always feel like I'm a smarter deer hunter when I'm in a lot of those states like Kansas or Illinois or Ohio than I am in Pennsylvania. And uh, it's, you know, obviously not because I'm any smarter there. It's just that there's more there's more older age class bucks in those states. And and, and then, of course, being away during the rut gives me a built in excuse for why another year will go by and I will not kill a, a really nice buck in Pennsylvania. And I, I can cop out by saying, well, I wasn't here during the best time. So I just had to settle for whatever I could come up with. So um, that's that's kind of my season. So, guys, I enjoyed it. Um, man, it's always honestly, you know, you think I'll, I'm blowing smoke, but it really is an honor to get on with you guys. Um you know, Bill and Eddie, I have uh, I've been working with you guys for 15 years, and I can honestly say that I've learned a lot from both of you uh, over my time at the magazine. And, and there's literally countless thousands of whitetail hunters throughout you know North America who have benefited uh, from your own uh, experiences. So thank you for sharing uh, you know your time in the field with all of us. My privilege. Yes, it's been a blast, Christian. Thank you. All right, Mark, close us out. Well, you know, we've talked about the season from the start to the finish, but uh, as I said earlier, you know, it's it, time to get out and get serious about bow hunting. Uh, just want to wish everybody a great season. Hopefully you have a, a lot of fun. Maybe you can get a shot at a big buck. 
Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com. <laughs>